Good morning, church. I want to read something over us this morning. Will you stand with me as we read from the word? I'm going to read from 1 John 5. And this says, you see, every child of God overcomes the world. For our faith is the victorious power that triumphs over the world. Those who believe the Son of God have the living testimony in their hearts. Those who don't believe have made God out to be a liar by not believing the testimony God has confirmed of His Son. But this is the true testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life has its source in His Son. And for those of you who believe this morning, God has given you a testimony. He's given us each a testimony because of what He's done in our life. And uh, so we're going to declare this morning just God and who He is and that our testimony is because of Him, because His life has overcome the grave. His life has overcome Satan. And so we have this joy and we have this life in Him this morning. And He is good. So we're going to sing to Him this morning. fall like lightning I saw darkness run for cover but the miracle that I just can't get over my name is registered in heaven I believe in signs and wonders I have resurrection power still the miracle Things are still to come. Oh, I believe if I'm 
Jesus rewrote my story. I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm justified. This is my Back here, buried in this corner, I have a microphone. Uh-oh. Uh, Logan introduced this song, Fountains, last week, and it, it's a song that speaks about our desire. Um, talks about God as the, the fount that won't run dry. And all of our hopes and all of our desires are in Him. But interestingly, like, we don't always live that way. And uh, I've heard a, someone teach on a concept where there are, your, there are your deepest desires, the desires that are in your very core, which are to be known by God and to be known by others and to be loved. And then there are sometimes your strongest desires. Maybe your strongest desires are the ones that you feed. They're like the trust structures. They're like the food that you go to for comfort or maybe things you watch online that give you a hit of dopamine. Um, They can be acceptance. They can be power. They can be comfort. They can be control. And unfortunately, the way that the body is made by God is that the more you do things, the more those things rewire your brain. And so if we all start coming here six days a week working out, we'll all start getting a lot more buff because that's the way that God made the, the, the desires and then you, as your body follows your desires, you find that you change. And um, so this morning as we sing this song, like it might be like, oh, that's a cool like electric hook in this song or that's a cool acoustic part, but really, I don't really mesh up with the words. Like, they just don't mean that much. Like, I don't know if he really is like all my hopes and all my desires are in him. But, you know, that's that's why we come here to reprogram. It's not the only place that it happens, obviously. You can't reprogram. You can't come here and work out once a week and get buff. And you can't come here once a week and do a spiritual dance and expect to become closer to God. But it's a part of the whole picture. And so this morning, um, even if you don't feel like you're there yet, I would ask you to sing this song in faith and to start looking at what you're doing day in and day out. Where are you putting your desires? Are they in Him or are they in other things? But thank God that He's patient with us and that He waits for us to realize that we're playing around in a pig pen with a bunch of slop and then He's, and he's waiting. So 
we're going to sing this morning about our fountain in God.
satisfies like you do. You are the fount that won't run dry. Nothing satisfies like you do. I have tasted, oh, I have tasted life. Nothing satisfies. Satisfies like you do. We may we may find it hard to relate to something that all my fountains are in you because we just don't think like that. But this was written by the it's in Psalms. And imagine that you live in a desert all your life and you go from place to place because you're a nomad you live in tents imagine what a fountain means to you imagine water springing up in the desert fountain and spring are the same thing what would that mean that you're in the desert and suddenly there's a fountain of water springing up Psalm 87 that's what it talks about not that not that just God's provision, it's, that's not all of it. It's about the connection and why God provides, that He loves us. That's what Psalm 87 is about. It talks about we're, we're, his, we're his children. We're, we're His people. And that's why we can trust in Him, that all our provision gets made. The fountains come up in the desert when, when there's no, when it looks like death, suddenly God provides. I don't know if you've been there, but, but I have, and that's the way it is. So in this offering time, which is a continuation of our worship, during this time, we recognize God's fountain of blessings that come on us. And so rather than all my trust is in you, that's one of the reasons we give. It's because that's an expression. That's an active working out on our part of trust that we're not going to trust the little bit that's in my pocket or in my checkbook we trust in God's provision for us so as we as we I'm going to invite you to give all the different ways that we give green boxes buckets online and I just want you to be blessed this morning so Father bless this time bless this offering for your purpose in Jesus name
that have all the money, all the likes on and followers on their Instagram and all the things that we measure success by. And look how many of them don't seem to be very happy. All of your the things that you think you desire, they're not making people happy for the most part. I always talk about the Kardashians. Bless their heart seem like very happy people because they keep trying to get their needs met other ways and I'm not picking on them Um, I I think as I think about most people that they're doing the best they can but when we know better why would we not give ourselves wholly to that wholly completely amen y'all be seated got two announcements for you this morning for things that are happening in this upcoming week. One is um, Rick and Dale's brother, Larry, that we've been praying for a long time, went to be with Jesus this week. And um, I got to visit him earlier in the week and he was, he was believing to keep on living. And, um, but the awesome thing about him is some of the things that have, that troubled him in his life, they don't trouble him anymore. Um, and that's not that's not a platitude or thing that we say. That is the reality that we recognize that where he is right. I'll probably say this in the funeral on Wednesday, but the scripture says to be absent from the body to be present with Jesus. So I believe that what that scripture means is is, since Larry's not in that body anymore, that he's with Jesus right now. And so any any trouble that he had in his life, it's over. It's it's done with. Because we know he loved Jesus. He knew the word. And so, um, but I'm going to miss my friend and we're going to pray for the whole, the Jackson family for their loss. And we have that funeral at 11 o'clock. Um, it's a memorial service. So we'll have that here uh, at our church at 11 o'clock. And then we'll have a meal immediately after. So if you want to bring some food for that, you may. And um, do you know how many we're going to feed, Dale? Okay, we'll just see. There's, a, there's about a million Jacksons. 
So just so you, just so you know. Um, but that's going to be a time that, of celebration uh, of a homecoming, homegoing uh, for Larry. Um, next Sunday is the fifth Sunday. And on fifth Sundays, we have, it's a family Sunday, so everybody's in here except for children in the nursery. And, and then after that, we're going to eat and hopefully be outside and, and have some fun doing some awesome things. So... I want to invite you to come and do all those things. Also, right after church today, we're going we're gonna to move the chairs around and bring tables in and set up for next Sunday because we're, gonna, we're just going to meet around the tables during the, all that. All right? So, yeah, we'll, we'll direct that. So if you want to do that, it takes about 10 minutes uh, if, all, if it's all hands on deck. All right? I want you to take uh, about five minutes and refill your coffee and all the. Except okay, Ms. Pamela Pam Joy. Yep. To to sign up for food for the funeral. For next Sunday. For next Sunday. Oh, okay. Sorry. For next Sunday. Anything else, love? Okay. I'll say, just say yes, dear. I'll just do that. All right. Y'all take five and then fill up your coffee. Members deal, but, but we ask people that are going to be, um, be serving in any capacity to go through that. If, and even if they've been here a while and, and they never have been a part, we, because we kind of wanted people to know the background. And there's one important thing there called uh, the leadership covenant. And everybody in leadership from the, Elders who over the whole organization on down to um, to any leadership position work uh, the host team worship team all we we promise to honor what we call the leadership covenant and the leadership covenant is about a two page document that had a ten or twelve things on it. Uh, that that were things that we felt like were important in, in order to, that we honor those things if we're going to be in leadership. But we we eventually the the pastoral staff and all of the campus pastors and and elders we got together and and we tried to make it a little less complicated so we could have it in our mind clearly and we broke it down to three things and all and and the. The original 12 fall all under this, but the three things um, that we are going to abide by as leadership is um, unity, honor, and trust. Unity, honor, and trust. Um, And there's an explanation for all that, but the first item, unity, is one of the most important things. What does it mean to be in unity? Now, husbands and wives should understand something about unity. Uh, Even though, um, for those of you who have a partner in this life, do you agree on everything? Yeah, yeah, that's right. You you don't agree on everything, and um, but... 
there, there are essential things that you do agree on, that you're going to tell the truth to each other. Does this dress make me look fat? I mean, you know, you're going to tell the truth. You're going to be faithful to your partner. You are going to, all the things. You agree on a good handful of things. Hopefully, you can agree on things like finances, uh, the, the place of your family and friends in your life, all the things that I go over with people when I, we talk about uh, premarital counseling things. Hopefully, you can agree on all of these kind of fundamental things about what it means to be partners in marriage and, and honor what God's purpose was for, for man and woman being partners and, and even uh, what the Old and the New Testament calls being one flesh. Uh, hopefully, you can agree on a lot of those things. But unity isn't just 100% agreement. It is... It is agreeing to disagree when you, when you can't agree, but unity. Um, Jesus in the garden, in the garden right before he's arrested and carried off to be crucified, the central part of his prayer that night he prayed, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. That was, that was a part of it. But, but then it, once he agreed, but, but I want, want it to be according to your will. So if I have to go through it, that's all, that's cool. The rest of his prayer was about unity, that we be one. That doesn't mean we agree in everything, but that we be unified, that we be one body. Um. How do you think we're doing on that right now as a church? We generally, I think we do okay, but it is, it is a little bit troubling that we have so many groups, but even in, with different groups that do, that do certain things different ways. We, we agree on so many things, and if we can focus on that as a church, then we can be what Jesus desired as evidenced by his prayer. We can be one body. We can act as one body. I mean, my left hand and my right hand don't even agree with each other all the time. Literally. I mean, in the literal, my body. They don't, don't agree with each other. I'm telling you what, if I hurt my right hand... I almost starve to death because I, I have to like work my, to just pick up a glass of tea and get it to my mouth because my left hand just doesn't work right. Um, that's a picture that is, the Apostle Paul uses several times in the New Testament when he talks about our body and how it kind of works together. Um, my left hand and my right hand are very, very different, but they do, uh, they usually are able to work together. The, the, my left hand can kind of put it out here and hold the bow, and this right hand can pull the string back, and I did it like a traditional bow. Sometimes I do it like this. If you ever watch Brother Dwayne talk about shooting a bow, he, he does this because he uses a trigger for his bow. I mean, uses a release, y'all Sorry, I digress and, and am operating in my ADD right now. Okay, so 
Paul talks about unity in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is a great book that talks about how the church is supposed to operate. So I want to go there. Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 1. We, um, he says, and Paul, when he talks about being a prisoner, in a lot of his letters, he truly is a prisoner. A lot of them are written from Rome, where he was under house arrest, and he literally was in chains some of the times. Um, and he wrote all, all of the letters that he wrote, he wrote to different churches, and uh, a lot of those got passed around. So, so it, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, those, those four little books in the New Testament that are right next to each other, those were all churches. Galatia, Ephesus, Colossa, and well, Philippi. Okay, I left that one out. Those are the four churches. They passed those around. And they shared those with each other what, because it was things that Paul was saying. If you're going to be a church, this is kind of what it's supposed to look like. So in verse 1 of chapter 4 in Ephesians, Paul says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. That's the New Living Translation. That uh, because of your love. He said you're going to be, you, you got to make allowance for faults. What do those faults look like? Well, sometimes it's that they don't do their hair right or they wear too much makeup or all the things that churches have actually divided over. Um, that... He says, make allowance for each other because of your faults. You may be wrong about something. You may have sin in your life. Um, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of what, which sin I'm going to pick out to talk about. <laughs> but we've, okay, somebody s- suggested smoking. And I, so I'll throw that one out because they're a smoker. And so I'm going um, to, I figure they can tell me it's okay to talk about that. Smoking. How many people have been ostracized and, and been criticized at church because they smoked? Um, I don't think there's anything scripture about that for, that I'm aware of. But uh, we all know, I mean, I'm pretty sure that even in the 60s, we knew that it wasn't good for you to smoke. I mean, it kind of make, it makes sense. But but I've also known 90-year-old people that smoked and nothing happened to them. But whatever the, whatever the good or bad of it is, it is not something that we should get our undies in a wad over. Over which we should get our undies in a wad. That's how it's supposed to be said. But we should be patient with one another. And whatever it is. I mean, I, the, the list could absolutely be endless. People could not like me because I don't tuck my shirt in sometimes. Most of the time, I don't tuck my shirt in. And don't wear a tie. Uh, I, I've worn a tie. I can probably count on 10 fingers how many times I've worn a tie in the past seven or eight years. Some people have a problem with that, not dressing up. I, 
There's all kinds of ways. But Paul said, just be patient with one another. In the, in the King James, it says long-suffering. It's not really even suffering. I don't know why he calls it that because it's not suffering to just ignore some things and not, not get bent out of shape about it. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of love. And that was supposed to be the characteristics of the church. And then in the early church, Pliny the Younger, who was one of the most famous uh, uh, historians of the day, he's the one that talked about the, uh, the volcano at Pompeii. It's his account of that that, that has come down to us through history that we, that we know what happened there because he was across a bay and saw all of it happening famous historian, kind of like Eric Metaxas, who has written a lot of history books about famous people, written a lot of autobiographies. Pliny the Younger was that kind of a guy. He, everybody knew him as a historian, and he's, it's carried down through the ages. Um, he said, that church, he said, a lot of things go on there, and there's some kind of stuff that's kind of weird, but you know what? You, they really love each other. So the, the teaching that the apostles were giving and what Jesus talked about, loving one another was, was a characteristic that was recognizable even to somebody that wasn't a Christian, like Pliny the Younger. Okay, we'll read on. Make every effort to keep yourselves united like Jesus prayed for in the garden. I pray that they be one, that they be unified. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit because you can't always be united in the flesh. You can't, you can't always agree on things in practicality, but in, in the spirit, we can be united. Binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Okay, so there's one body one spirit that we've been called to one glorious hope. So there's, there's three things that we can agree on because there's only one. One body, what's that? The church. There's one body that is the church. It's one body. It's different parts, but there's one body. And even, even during this, even during the first century, there were some churches that were focusing on one thing or another more than others. Just like we have now, we've got churches meeting here in Chandler right now in central Oklahoma that are, that are doing things differently this morning. Some of, them, some of them have communion every single Sunday, and I'm not going to look for a show of hands, but some people would like, like for us to do that. There's people that do their worship service with no instruments. There are people that do their worship service with an organ only or an organ and a piano. There's groups that had choirs this morning. There's a lot of different ways that we do things. Um, but we are one body. One, we are one church, even though we're, it's expressed in a lot of different ways. Because there's one spirit, the Holy Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future, and that's that we all are going in the same direction and looking for the same eternal home. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Hold on there. 
There's a lot of different ways that we baptize, right? We even recognize in our non-denominational denomination, we even recognize that there's multiple baptisms that we experience in our life. But, so, so what does he mean when he's talking about one baptism? The spiritual baptism that we have in the Holy Spirit. When we, when we get because before we ever get any dunked in water, something happens in us that, we are, that we're baptized into the faith by the Holy Spirit. So one faith, one baptism, one God. Everybody agree on that, right? Everybody agrees on that. goes all the way back to Genesis 1.1. There's only one God. And throughout uh, all of the Old Testament, there's one God. The Shema Israel um, there's only one, one God and father of all who is over all in all and living through all. Now, if that's the case, how can you not be unified? So Paul is creating this way that we are creating a, a picture of what it looks like to be in unity, not agreeing with everything. The Ephesians themselves, one little church group couldn't even agree on everything. But he's, he's saying this is the picture because we can agree on a bunch of things that there's one, one, one God, one Lord, one faith, even one baptism. So, and we read on verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. So he's, this is how the church gets built up and is, and be, and is unified and becomes that one having that oneness. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. One, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers that we call the fivefold ministry. And some people just look at pastors and teachers together, but but it's different. Some pastors have a lot of these giftings and some pastors have to have extra people around them to fill these places. But in a church... Uh, these roles are all met in some way or another. And, and some people have certain giftings that they operate even outside the church, like apostles that, that lead a group of churches uh, and prophets that, that go from place to place. So the picture that we have is these five gifts operating in five combinations with some people with more than others. But their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. They're not the ones who do the work. They're the equippers. They're the ones that set everything up and build up the church. The King James says edify there. I can't, I can't, there's so many times that people say edify like educate. It's a different thing. The edify means to build up, to build up, to encourage, to not just build up. A building, not to just build numbers, but to build a, an individual up. We each build each other up in our faith. To build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of the God's Son that we will be mature. The King James calls it perfect. Raise your hand if you say it, Yvonne. Complete. That's, that's another way that it says it. It just means finished. Be a finished product. 
that, that indicates that there's a process that's going on. What happens if you're in the process of your becoming, of your maturity, and you're coming to completeness? What happens if I go, you know, you're just not making it. You, I'm sorry, you're just not cutting it, and I don't know what we're going to do. You can't stop smoking. You can't stop whatever, drinking, chewing tobacco, whatever it is. Um, you, I'm sorry, I'm casting thoughts down all as I go. My dad said, uh, we, don't, we don't drink and we don't chew and we don't go with girls that do. Is that how that went? You may be going with girls that do that. But if I catch you in the middle of your process and I'm critical of you, I'm tearing you down instead of building you up, what happens? It gets broke. The whole church gets broke. The body ends up without without some of its parts. Man, if I was without my right hand, I would starve to death and I'd never, I couldn't drink water anymore. I mean, I guess I could drink it like a cat, something like that. But how broken is a church when some of its, some of its parts are gone just because they've been broken down and hurt? Man, I can't tell you in, in these, oh, I don't even want to think about how many years of ministry I've been in, that all the people that I've come in contact with that have been hurt by the church. They've been hurt by the, the church as an organization because they didn't measure up in some way. They've been hurt by leaders or, or somebody in the church that, well-meaning trying to help them out, you know, was critical of them and hurt. Hurt. Not building up, but breaking down in the middle of coming to maturity, coming to completeness, coming to that perfection, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. There's not a soul in this building, in this town, in this state, in this nation that it measures up to the full and complete standard of Christ. I'm, should I ask for a show of hands if, it, if anybody's there yet? Exactly. It's a process and you, you never quite get finished. Paul said, I'm chief of sinners. And he may have been talking about his past there, but, but he, he said, I haven't arrived yet. Every time he talks about this, he says, I haven't even got there yet. And you, you have to know that if he's writing the manual for half of what we do as Christians and as a church, there, he ha, at least had the head knowledge, but he wasn't working it out in his life completely yet. We'll go on reading. Because if, once we can get to that point where we measure up, where we're coming to be more mature and measuring up, then we will no longer be immature like children we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. Oh my goodness. My, and these years of, of ministry, the, uh, the people that have been tossed about and going from one thing to the next, one church to the next, getting the next new thing. I'm not even going to talk about all the new things that I've seen, but we won't be tossed and blown by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. I don't know what 25 years ago I thought those words meant. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. 
I don't know what 25 years ago I thought that looked like, but I didn't think it would look like now. Because we have crazy, like crazy as never been before right now. I watched an, an old Monty Python sketch um, a, about a guy that said that he wanted to be referred to as a woman now and he was going to have a baby and they're arguing and John Cleese is going, are you crazy? You can't, you don't, you don't. He said, you don't have a womb. Um, uh, sorry if that's too personal and that's my best British accent, I have to say. Um, I never thought that we would be living in a time when people are trying to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. And so many people are believing that as some kind of truth. And if you're listening, I'm using air quotes right now. We won't be influenced by that when we are grounded in our faith. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. You, I guarantee there's been a lot of those people that have been heard in church. The truth was spoken to them. A truth like this. I watched this on a video a few years back of a, of a group of Christians, air quotes again, who were um, picketing in front of an abortion center. And there was this lady that screamed this out. She goes, gee, and, the, and this horrible look on her face. Jesus loves you. Is that the truth? It, is that the truth in the words? Jesus loves you. That's John three sixteen. But. The way it's delivered, Jesus loves you because the way I look right now doesn't look very much like I love you or I love Jesus. I only love sour water or something like that. That's what it looks like. There have been people who have been hurt when the truth, true words were spoken to them, but it wasn't the truth in love. And more, now more than ever, we need to be delivering. When we deliver the truth, deliver it in love. Because there's some things that we are believing right now as a people of faith, and it's central to our beliefs. It's not some offshoot, like something relatively important, like smoking or drinking or something like that. It's a, th this is central to our faith. Like what marriage is. Central to our faith. We still have to speak the truth in love to people who don't get it, to people who are in the middle of this process of becoming. The truth in love. Where was I? Oh, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Look at all in scripture, look at the gospel that we, we've been, we went through all through the book of Matthew and on Wednesday nights. 
an in-depth look at the gospel and who Jesus was and how he taught? Can you picture Jesus dealing with people who were sinners, dealing with people who had real sin in their life? Can you picture him going, I really love you. No, he delivered the truth in love, except to religious people. He called them snakes and whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. People that should have known better. People who were actually keeping others from, from coming to faith. That's what his problem was, that is that the Pharisees stood in the way. We'll speak the truth and love growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. If you ever want to know what that means, stump your little toe. Because man, when that thing's broke, you can hardly walk anymore. You can't walk straight. It's just, it's a mess. Your whole body, Jesus causes the body to work together in a way that it functions like it's supposed to. Verses 17 through 32 talks about sin, which we, we think about a lot and we talk about a lot, at least growing up, that's what I heard more about than anything else when, when I heard sermons was all the sin that I, I was doing and all the ways that the world was messed up. And uh, he says in verse 17, with the Lord's authority, I say this to you, People of Ephesus, I say, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they're hopeless and confused. If we, if we just accommodate all the Gentiles and their beliefs about the way things are, um, then everybody's lost. It's blind leading the blind. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. I, I, he's, this is written to the church. And he's talking about people who are, might have been a part of the church, but they were still living like they did when, before they ever came to the church, like Gentiles. They're closed, they have closed minds, hardened their hearts. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagle, eagerly practice every kind of impurity. They, they would go to church on Sundays, and then the rest of their week, they live like they did before. They still went to the temple prostitutes of, at the temple of Diana in Ephesus. They still ate meat sacrificed. They would go sacrifice to idols and do all those things um, and, and still be a part of that. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned about the truth and, uh, that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception, Instead, let, it, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So he, then he lists the, some of the particular sins. He says, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. So don't lie. Don't get angry. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Um, in one of Paul's writings, he says, in your anger, do not sin. So he's saying, 
it's okay to be angry, but don't sin in your anger. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Well, that's easy, isn't it? Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others who are in need. So don't just take, take, take work and then give instead of taking from others. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and give generously. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let encouragement, uh, let, let everything you say be good and helpful. Oh, man. That's a hard one, isn't it? Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not... So that's a list of the sins. Don't, Don't do those things. Those are some big ones right there. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. The King James says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieve, that's about somebody who's lost and I mean like a funeral, uh, that kind of a loss, grieving. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. This is one of the ways that we come into unity of the faith is by living this way, not And that's all. Don't lie. Don't let anger take over you. Don't steal. I mean, and this is in addition to the Ten Commandments, right? But some simple things. Just do those things. Don't make up a long list of all the other things you're supposed to do. Like, don't wear makeup. You can only wear dresses. You can't cut your hair. You got to wear a tie. All the list of things that, that make us good Christians, right? Don't add to that. It's a simple thing because all those things, and and we ought to do communion this way. And if you're going to baptize, you've got to baptize this way. God really worked on me when I was a part of the Methodist church retreat weekend called Walk to Emmaus. They they borrowed it from the Catholics. And now, um, now the Baptists have borrowed it from the Methodists and they call it something else. But it's basically the exact same thing. And one time I had to talk about baptism. And, uh, and since I, at the time, was involved in a Baptist church, they asked me to always talk about baptism. I said, you know that's not what being a Baptist means, right? But um, I would have to talk about that. And God really worked on me because if you believe that... I'm chasing a little rabbit. This, this little sermonette part is free. If you believe that baptism is symbolic, which is in most of the Protestant groups, that's what we believe, that your, your sins aren't actually literally washed away in the water. It's a symbol of what the Holy Spirit's already done in you before you ever saw any water. It's more of a testimony and it's symbolic of what's already happened in you. And God said, if it's symbolic then does it matter how much water you use? Now, I believe some of the symbolism gets lost and a lot of Methodist people ask me to baptize them, dunk them in the water because they had been baptized with sprinkling when they were babies, and which I got no problem with that. But they said, can I get dunked in the water? Because I want to do that. 
And so a lot, and a lot of them did do that because they wanted that picture. They wanted to act that picture out in their life of being buried with Jesus and raised to walk a newness of life, just like Jesus was and that Paul talks about in those same exact words. So rather than all these things that tend to divide us, let's focus on some of these these important things in how we behave and how we live our life every day and how, even how we do church. He said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he's identified you as his own. And that, that, that church down the street, he's identified them as his own. And that, that person who comes to church and may dress different from you, the Holy Spirit has identified those people as his own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid, bottom line, Paul, Paul often does this after he's kind of chased some rabbits, he comes down and here's the bottom line. The bottom line is get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. What's slander when you say something about somebody and spread talk about them that's not true? Get uh, slander as well as all types of evil behavior. He's just lumping all these things together and he says all those that because it's not just a behavior, it's evil. It's evil. You're being used by the enemy, Satan, when that's happening. You may think you're correcting somebody by telling them the, the truth, but that's Satan dividing, dividing, dividing. The enemy is at work dividing us as a people in so many ways right now. Dividing, dividing. We just need to make sure we're not a part of that. That because of the way you voted in the last election or, or the, the, what kind of car you drive, that if you're not driving an electric vehicle, then you're, then you're somehow ungodly, whatever. All the ways that we tend to divide ourselves, if, if you engage in that, that's the work that the devil does. Jesus' last prayer for us in his human body was, I pray that they be one. Unity is what he prayed for. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as through God, through God through Christ has forgiven you. When we say the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, we're suggesting two things that, that our, our forgiveness is contingent upon whether or not we forgive others and maybe the amount of forgiveness is contingent on how much the amount that we forgive. Because how many of us have for, how many of us have been forgiven just a little bit? We've been we've all been forgiven a lot. We all fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned, according to Romans three twenty three. At the end of the last message uh, in in Pastor Jacob's 
series that we watched on video, he talked about the gospel that um, the gospel message was, and this is the same thing that John the Baptist preached, repent and be baptized. And, and then Jesus talked about repentance too. And, and the whole New Testament does talks about repentance. And that the definition for that repentance that Jacob gave was reordering our kingdom to work with God's kingdom. Reordering our kingdom to work with God's kingdom. How many of us put our kingdom first? All the things that are important to to us. Well, yeah, I love those people, but... And then you have this list of things that you think are the important things. That's us building up a kingdom in our own mind. We, we go so far as even to build up what we believe, who we believe God is, that's contrary to the way he reveals himself in this scripture right here. That's us building a kingdom, building a whole world that is all about us. My commitment for church going forward is to the truth and love Love, loving each other in here, loving people on the outside who are lost and need us now more than ever. The world needs a church right now. They need an anchor in the middle of a storm. They need that solid rock. Amen? Because, man, we are drifting, drifting, drifting as a society I I wonder if every everybody knows on some level how crazy things are right now. But no amount of sociology, philosophy, political ideology, no amount of that kind of fix psychology, no amount of that kind of fixing is going to do it. It's going to take that transformation that's because of Jesus. And that's what, that's, that's our statement of belief is that we exist to see people transformed by Jesus. Not by more education or better ideas or something like that. Jesus is that transformation. The love of Jesus, which is... That's what we've got to carry. We've got, we don't have to carry the right ideology of politics or anything like that around to make things better. We need to carry Jesus everywhere we go. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, may the, the words of the Apostle Paul reorder our lives. Um, that as you're building your kingdom through your body, the church, the body of Christ, I pray that that we submit our understanding and our belief about the way things are. I pray that our understanding would align itself with you, who you are and what your will is for us as a church, as a, as a body of believers. And that, I, that reordering of what our belief is about who we are as a, as a people of God, that it will inspire us to, when we go from this place, 
to take an image of Jesus on ourselves that so much so that that when we walk down the street, people see Jesus. They don't see a holy person. They don't see some spiritual talking caricature of what a Christian is. They see Jesus in our in our actions. They see Jesus in our words. And that we never give the the Holy Spirit opportunity to be grieved by a thing that we say. I pray that in Jesus' name, in this in this coming week, as we go about our daily lives, that that we will catch ourselves. That the Holy Spirit will just nudge us a little bit when we're when we're going over the line into bringing grief to the Holy Spirit because of something that we say, something that we do, a way that we look, uh, some condemning thing. Lord, that that we operate in a way that doesn't look like Jesus. I pray that fixing that on our life because we're challenged, I pray that that will bring a person to a understanding of who Jesus is, a, a, a desire to be a part of what we're a part of, uh, the, the body of Christ. Father, that, that we will make a difference, not in because we preach a sermon uh, or condemn somebody the right way. Lord, that we make a difference in someone's life this week just by a kind word, forgiving someone. people would see Jesus everywhere we go. Bless each person. Bless the families that, they're, that they represent. Not just so we can have a bless me party, but so that lives get changed. That we take that blessing everywhere our foot falls in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We're going to move chairs around. We're not going to pick.